Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Almost 4,000 years ago, the living God revealed himself to a man in Mesopotamia. His name was Abram. God appeared to him and gave him a promise. It almost seemed like a, the promise God gave to Abram sounds very much a unilateral, one-sided offer. God tells him to get up, leave his familiar surroundings, his father's house, his own kinsmen, and go to the land that he would show him. And then he says he promises him a bunch of things. He would make him a great nation. He would bless those who bless him, curse those who curse him, and would bless all the families of the earth through him. There's no quid pro quo here, such as the language of a covenant or a deal entered into between two parties. In our day, we are familiar with things like covenants, especially in the form of loan agreements, um, mortgage agreements, and other contracts. These things are nothing new. But in the ancient world, they also made covenants other than financial ones, covenants of relationship, but various types of transactions. Well, in the course of history, the living God himself appeared to particular individuals and a people, and some of his dealings with humanity, as he revealed himself to them, has been in the form of covenants. So we speak of the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant God made with Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant, however, seems very much one-sided. God did not tell him to do anything other than basically do what I am telling you, which is go to the land I am going to show you. And then he says, I'm going to give you all of these things. If there was any conditionality of things to be done on the part of Abraham, it was simply to, to believe God and carry out what he said, to leave all of his sources of support and reliance and to rely on God only, to believe God. So in some ways, God speaking to Abraham is seen as a one-sided, only a single-party kind of agreement, promise, in other words, whereas what he did a few centuries later at Mount Sinai, and now not with an individual, but with a whole population, is a two-party covenant. It's very clearly so when we read it in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, chapter 19 and following. God brings this whole nation out of Egypt, brings them by having them cross through the Red Sea, through dry land, by separating the waters, brings them to Mount Sinai, through the desert. He provides water for them. He sustains them with manna, rain down from heaven. And at Mount Sinai, he enters into an agreement with them, a transaction. That transaction involved two parties and, in addition, intermediaries. So God on the one side, the people of Israel on the other side, and at least Moses, and one occasion Moses and Aaron, who go up on behalf of the people as intermediaries between God and the people. The Abrahamic promise, which 
offers salvation came without any such contingencies. It's not a two-party negotiated agreement where failure on the part of one cancels the obligation of the other. All these covenants inside the Bible and outside of the Bible came with terms. If you observe the terms of this covenant, such and such things will happen. If you break the terms of this covenant, terrible things will happen. Now, when God makes a covenant with his people, if they kept the covenant, they would dwell in the land he would give them. They would have health, freedom from disease. He would give them prosperity. He will give them, protect them from failure against armies that come against them. Crops would be abundant. They would be healthy, fertile. He is going to make them special and bless them, and the world will see that this people are the people of God. The Abrahamic covenant did not come with such contingencies, so to speak. God instructs Abraham to do what he says, which is to go to the land, and then he simply says, I will bless you and give you all these things. So when the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 is telling us about the gospel and why the gospel should not be corrupted by addition of the law to it, these things become rather important. In chapter 3, verses 19 and following, having raised the fact that the salvation is not through the keeping of the law, the Apostle Paul tells us why then God gave them the law. And as he does so, he points out some of the differences between the promise given through Abraham and the covenant made with Israel, with Moses as an intermediary. The, the law was added in connection with sin, either to surface, make us aware of our sin, or to keep us regulated, the people of God, Israel regulated because of their sin. Secondly, it was a temporary measure. It was not the final thing, and he will elaborate on this later on. It had, God had in his mind a, a very definite purpose to limit the scope of the law in its function for the life of the people of God. It was only meant for a certain time. It was only meant to operate until the ultimate descendant of Abraham, who brings eternal life through faith in him, came. So it was, in, it was put in place until the seed of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham should come. And then he mentions another thing that it was sort of a two-party thing. It was put in place, and he says, through angels by an intermediary. Now, the role of angels here, it can be inferred from the account in the book of Exodus. There was angelic presence, the blowing of trumpets, etc., and in later Judaism, there are words to the effect of the involvement of angels in the giving of the law. It's also possible that the word angelos in Greek, which is translated angel, can simply refer to human messengers. So Moses was a messenger, but the plural, if it is meant to be human, could be both Moses and Aaron, who in Exodus 19, both of them go up together representing the people toward God. That's a possibility. Or Paul is referring to actual angels being involved in the giving of the law. That is, between God and people, you seem to have at least two intermediaries, angelic mediation and then Moses and possibly Moses and Aaron as involved intermediaries. Now, an intermediary in Galatians 3.20, the Apostle Paul says, implies more than one, but God is one. This is one of the hardest verses in the text here. 
However, the involvement of an intermediary supposes there are two parties involved, and that is true at Mount Sinai with regard to the law. Israel was one party, God was the other party, Moses was an intermediary, possibly uh, Moses along with Aaron to a limited degree, and possibly angels. But when you come to the Abrahamic promise, there are no such intermediaries ever. God deals with Abraham directly. He gives it as a promise. And by this, it seems that the Apostle Paul and the Spirit of God through him is telling us that really the, the salvation offered in the Abrahamic promise reaches beyond the character and, and limitations of the law. See, the law's scope ended when the other party didn't keep it. When Israel failed to keep the law, the curses of the law came upon them, and they were cast out of the land, and it's only by God's mercy they were restored to the land. But the Abrahamic promise offers us life, blessing from God through faith in the Messiah. So the law, however highly you might think of what God has given, and it is indeed given by God, is not something that God designed to be the ultimate thing for a person to have a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God is not maintained by keeping the law and regulations. A right relationship with God rests on trusting him and then an obedient life as a manifestation of that trust. This has always been so. What happened, for example, when humanity fell in the Garden of Eden, yes, it was the breaking of a law, but behind the breaking of the law, that when God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden, well, there was a lack of trust. The snake came to Eve and said, has God really said, don't eat any? She said, God said, not all the trees, but one. He said, on the day we will eat of it, we will surely die. And the snake said, you won't die. You will surely not die. And that was a lie. And they believed that lie. And the rest of the conduct was based on believing that lie. He said, you will become like God. So it was really not trusting what God had told them that led to the fall. And even when God makes a covenant with Israel in the desert, as we read in the book of Exodus, if you read the rest of it, God becomes more angry and, and brings some judgment along the way because of unbelief. In fact, there is no commandment, either in the Ten Commandments or the rest of the, the law, saying you must believe that God will give you water and food in the desert. There is no such law. And yet, when they complain and murmur, it is very displacing to God and judgment comes. And the, 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 the greatest case of this is what we see in the book of Numbers. God brings them to bring them into the land of Canaan, and they are to go in and possess it. Moses sends out spies to, to go spy out the land to see how everything lies. And they come back. And of the 12 who went, 10 are in unbelief. says, there's no way we can capture this land. And the people are carried away by this lack of confidence that God could give them the land he promised them, although he had already done a great miracle in bringing them out of the bondage in Egypt, out of the hands of a Pharaoh who did absolutely not want to let them go, and then through the middle of a sea, and then through a desert, and had appeared to them in very awesome 
forms, what we call theophanies, the appearance of God in temporary fashion. And he had done all these things, and yet they did not believe that God was able to give them the land because it looks too fortified. The people were too tall. They were too strong. And it is this unbelief that causes them to wander for 40 years in the desert. You see, the Old Testament is a book not about keeping regulations externally, but about believing God. And even the keeping of the law, God had intended to come out of a heart that was rightly oriented toward him. Oh, that they had such a heart in them, God says through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, that they would fear me and keep my commandments that it might go well with them. A right heart that holds God in reverence and responds in obedience that leads to blessing. The external keeping of the law was really not significant and relevant. It was not the means of salvation. Certainly, when the Messiah came, when the ultimate bearer of the blessing through Abraham has already come, external signs like the circumcision or other marks of religion, they become no longer relevant. This is what the Spirit of God would teach through the Apostle Paul here in this passage of Galatians. Through the intermediary being present at the Sinai covenant, it already signifies something less than the one-sided promise of God that he gave to Abraham. A promise of blessing that is now to be understood in terms of righteousness, eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu partner.